millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to History Hack. If you didn't know by now, we are the revolution. That means we're sharp, witty, lots of fun, but it also means that we're essentially the peasants in Les Mis huddled round a table in the corner of the bar with no money. If you enjoy the show, please do support us. We have a Patreon account by which you can donate a small monthly sum in appreciation of what you're hearing. Alternatively, we have Ko-fi in which you can just do a one-off donation as a thank you if you particularly enjoy a certain episode. Either way, we massively appreciate all of your support. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to today's History Hack. Uh, This has become a bit of a theme of late, hasn't it, Zach? But I'm really excited about this one. What are we going to be talking about today? We're doing another clickbait one. We're doing witches. Who doesn't like a bit of witches? No one. Um, So we did American witches last time. Well, witches in inverted commas. Bunny quotes. Bunny quote witches um, last time. But are we coming back this side of the Atlantic now? We are. I'll let our viewers decide whether we're doing hardcore witches or um just kind of not really witchy at all and and just maligned and falsely accused but yeah we are doing the last witch craze which is a hell of a title in itself we're looking at john aubrey the royal society no less and the witches we're joined by tony mccalevey he studied history at oxford he's the director of an international education charity we'll be talking more about that later on you're not going to get away with uh an epithet like that um, and not covering it on this show. But Tony's just written this brilliant book on The Last Witch Craze. We're going to find out all about it and how this guy, John Aubrey, is entwined in this story. Tony, great to see you. Welcome to History Hack. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks. Good to be here. So the, the big cheese in this story is John Aubrey. What's his life like prior to this craze? Because he had kind of a longer association with the supernatural than than just the craze itself, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. So I try to weave together Aubrey's life story with this wider context of what I've called the last witch craze, this period in, in, in Britain, also in America. It, it, it does include uh, the other side of the pond. Uh, uh, when, uh, it, you know, in the late 17th century, uh, women, typically women, are, are being put on trial for witchcraft and some of them are being found guilty and they are being executed. Uh, so what's the, what's, what's the connection? Well, broadly speaking, the, 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 the argument is that there, were, there was a group, a bunch of intellectuals, leading intellectuals, who actually promoted belief in the authenticity of witchcraft uh, and thereby contributed to the witch case. They, they, they provided a kind of 
you know, respectable justification for the persecution. And one of them was John Aubrey. And uh, to, to the point, uh, this pos- puzzled me. When I came across this, it puzzled me. And I went on a bit of a journey to try to work that out, which involved looking at his his story and his 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 backstory and um so how come how come someone who was so cultivated who kind of invented modern archaeology invented modern biography in brief lives was also completely convinced about the authenticity of 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 witchcraft well i looked into it and you know on reflection it wasn't that surprising because the the belief in the supernatural was all pervasive at the time uh, and actually, it was the witchcraft deniers, I mean, there were some, who were in the minority amongst the elite. So Aubrey grew up in rural Wiltshire, where he was surrounded by folk beliefs about magic and, uh, and, and witchcraft. He went to Oxford. You might think, oh, well, he's going to you know, a, a, a different environment there, the, the less superstitious, not a bit of it. He goes to an environment in Oxford in the early 1640s, where belief in the supernatural is absolutely, absolutely rampant. Uh, One of his mates gets him involved in some spirit magic. Uh, Shortly after he he, he arrives at at, at Trinity, he has to leave Oxford because of the Civil War. He keeps in touch with Oxford folks. People are writing to him about, for example, a poltergeist phenomenon. They didn't use that word, but that's what it was in in Woodstock in in the 40s. He's then dividing his time between Wiltshire and London, trying to make a name for himself in the in the, in the 1650s world uh, of, of London. And there he's, he's moving in a world where there are cunning women, you know, selling uh, magic and, and an, elite, an elite group of people who for sure are dabbling in spirit magic. So actually, it's not that surprising that he, he ends up believing in the authenticity of the supernatural. It seems bonkers to us now, doesn't it? I have massive yeah. sympathy because, Zach, I'm absolutely certain if I was around in the 1640s, they would think I was a witch. 100%. Why? I just, because I'm too talkative uh, and not stupid and not willing to just spit out babies uh, and do, like, homely female things. I have opinions. I don't think they would have liked that. This Definitely. is true. You and your opinions. Like, who was that? I t- for want of a better word, who was that asshole that was the witch finder general? Like he was a monster. Yeah. Uh, he's he's on the, the other side of the country. He's not West Country, is he? Is he East Anglia? I can't remember. Yeah, Matthew Matthew Hopkins. He's That's he's the, the witch one. finder general. Yeah, and uh, the the period when uh, I mean, by the way, Alex, I completely agree with you. It is it is you know on one level bonkers, isn't it? How yeah. could cle- how could clever people be so stupid? I mean, yeah, that's this, I mean, one- <laughs> in an era where there isn't widespread literacy in that, if you're yeah. a peasant and a farmer, you're going to look at a guy who knows how to read and be like, wow, this dude yeah. knows things. He's educated. And if he's telling you, oh, yeah, there's witches, you're going to believe yeah. it. Well, you're 100%. And that, that I think, is is really at the heart of, of my, my book because you've got – a group of guys, and I talk about Aubrey, but I bring in some other people as well. And the single most distinguished one is Robert Boyle, who sort of invents modern chemistry. And Boyle believed 100% in the authenticity of witchcraft, and, and he published a book about it. And uh, so there you are in you know, Boston, New England, uh, and, and you're getting the, the latest books from, from London. And these incredibly distinguished guys are saying, you know what, it's true. Witchcraft does exist, therefore you are permitted to persecute your your your, your local witches. And and who are they to challenge the you know the famous 
learned uh, uh, Mr. Boyle. That's that's what happens. I'm like really interested in in how this then transpires out into society. So, I mean, we people believe in witches as as bonkers as it sounds to us, they do. So, what? How do that? How do they deal with it? So, I have notions of some pretty medieval punishments, like uh, the ducking stool. If this is uh, as real as I. I told Zach it was last night when he asked me because I'm sure it is. So the principle whereby you put a woman on a stool, you duck her. If she drowns, oh, she wasn't a witch. Hard cheese. You're dead anyway. That's and if a shame. she survives, you execute her because she's clearly a witch. Is that yeah. right? Is that the that belief, that folk belief, was prevalent in the period. People in the countryside genuinely believed that what happens with the the last witch craze and Aubrey and his mates is something different because they, they, they think that's not good enough as proof. So they believe in the authenticity of witchcraft, but they're interested in proof and they think they're terribly modern. Uh, and they're also promoting the principles of proof in the context of experimental science. So they say, no, 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 what we've got to do is come up with better measures for proving the guilt of a witch than these than these traditional methods, which were which were happening. So they're on this mission really to find what they would what we'd see today in scientific terms as kind of real life, real world empirical data <laughs> that confirms that yep, yeah, she's she's a witch. And they're particularly interested. They write about this. They theorize about proof. And the the the, the big approach that they recommend really is that you, what you need ideally is the testimony of multiple reliable witnesses. So it's no good ducking the woman. You need the testimony of multiple reliable witnesses. And they then go out and try to find instances where there appear to be you know, multiple reliable witnesses. And that's what Robert Boyle does. He homes in on a case study of witchcraft, uh, actually from France, from a town in Burgundy called Masson. Um, and he's convinced. Uh, and he says, well, you know, I start with a sceptical approach because I'm really modern. But hang on a minute. Uh, multiple witnesses, including people who had no axe to grind, said that this house was indeed infested by uh, a spirit. As I say, we call these kind of things a poltergeist as a result of, 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 of witchcraft. And Aubrey takes the same approach. Uh, the only book he ever published in his life, he wrote scores of books was his book about the supernatural called Miscellanies. And it's a collection of what he thinks are strange but true instances, backed up by the fact that the the source, he thinks, is a reliable witness. I mean, when we talk about reliable witnesses, is this kind of, so I walked in this house, I had a funny feeling, a shiver ran down my spine, um, something fell over and made a loud noise and then I ran away. And there's, there's clearly, you know, some kind of malevolent spirit that's being controlled by the owner of the house who is uh, therefore a witch, but it can't be the male owner of the house because he's a man. And so it has to be the woman's fault. Is that kind of the, the testimony we're talking about here? Or is there kind of something more, what we would think of today as credible behind uh, it? The, that? Would, that would just be the starting point for the these investigators. They'd say, Okay, interesting. Uh, maybe let's investigate. And they're inventing, you know, something that still goes on today in terms of, you know, psychic research and paranormal research. They're they're inventing research into the paranormal in the 1650s and the 16 the 1660s. Uh, so they would say, oh, okay, you you think the house was bewitched? 
let's investigate. Let's talk to several people. Um, they were terrible snobs. So if, if there were witnesses who were from a, a kind of upper class background, then that testimony counted more than the, than the, the testimony of, of, of the local poor. In the case of Masson, where Robert Boyle said, I'm convinced by this, he was intrigued by the fact that um, uh, posh people <laughs> from both a Catholic and a Protestant background, because the town was divided at the time, and the in, a infested house uh, belonged to a, a Protestant minister. Uh, so he was impressed by the fact that several people who came from conflicting backgrounds testified that, yeah, they'd heard the demon uh, speak and they, they, strange things were happening in, in the house. So it's not enough just to have somebody coming along with their, 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 their tale of the paranormal. You've got to investigate it. You've got to be modern. You've got to get evidence. Uh, but they were also, you know, as Alex said, they were also bongers uh, because they got very interested in the significance of spectral evidence. So what if somebody said, uh, I saw the spectre of the witch, you know, in my bedroom, you know, putting pins into me or whatever. Uh, could that be accepted as, as evidence? Uh, and this becomes really important in Salem because it's the kind of evidence that, 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 uh, that's, that's involved in testimony in Salem in 1692. And Henry Moore, to introduce another name, uh, another fellow of the Royal Society, he is a Cambridge philosopher, and he writes about this. He investigates this personally. You know, he goes to Cambridge jail to interrogate suspected witches, etc., etc. And he concludes, yep, uh, spectral evidence can be accepted, as long as the witness appears to be a reliable witness. So if you do end up on trial for witchcraft, Alex, you're screwed because they're not going to believe a peasant like me. Sorry. No, I'm going to have to find someone richer and like, oh, I know a couple of people with titles. Actually, do you know what? I might be all right because I have a title. Remember, my mum did that thing where she bought me a postage stamp of land because she thought it would be hilarious in Scotland. So I am actually Lady Alexandra Churchill. Oh, you're a duchess, are you? Uh, something like that. So uh, it's kind of my perception of the women that get accused of this is that like, so we did a podcast the other day about, um, I can't even remember the name of the town now, somewhere rural in Massachusetts. It was with Malcolm Gaskell and it, it was about his Wolfson Prize nominated book. And um, the people that were accused were basically just not very likable. Their neighbours didn't like them. They were quite ornery and argumentative. Um, and that was sort of the, the genesis of how they ended up being accused of being witches. Uh, is, is this how it rolls? Is this how it is? It's like, well, there's this woman and she's on the fringes of society. She's a bit moody. She, I'm just describing myself now. She's a bit moody. Uh, she doesn't have a husband. She likes her cat a little bit too much. Uh, God, it really is me, isn't it? Um, and so therefore, there's clearly something wrong with her. Let's dunk her and see if she's a witch. Is, and is this really how simple it is? Or is there more to it? Can I just say I'm writing to the witch master general immediately? <laughs> Shut up. I think... No one likes you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's a good question. Uh, I mean, I, I look at multiple stories. So I, I look at the way these Royal Society fellows uh, tried to find several case studies, you know, in their search for evidence. 
So there are case studies from Massachusetts, from Scotland, from different parts of, of England. And, it, and it's mixed. Uh, but in, in several instances, yeah, in several instances, we're talking about women who are, a, you know, a, a impoverished members of a, you know, a bit of an underclass and uh, maybe easy, therefore, to, to, to scapegoat. It's, it's a bit more complicated than that. It's not always like that. Uh, one of the key instances is the case of Anne Bodnam, so-called Witch of Salisbury, who was executed in 1653. And she wasn't like that at all. She was Mistress Anne Bodnam. She was to be treated with a bit of respect. She was literate. She ran a little school. Her husband was a businessman. Uh, who manufactured woolen cloth, and uh, she was accused of being uh, of, of of being a witch. So there's a little bit of complexity to it. What I think is common to the, the way in which these royal society individuals and, and Aubrey were viewing women was a really nasty, prevalent uh, misogynism, uh, compounded in some instances by you know sort of contempt for their class background but almost consistently misogynistic. I mean, they write about these women in, in, in really nasty language. They talk about them repeatedly as hags. This is the word they, 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 uh, they, they, they use. Um, and uh, yeah, this, this misogynism uh, really uh, underpins, uh, I, I think, the, the, you know, the bonkers fact that uh, they were convinced that, that genuine witchcraft was going on here. I mean, there is a certain irony to me burning Alex there in that Grumpy likes to be on their own, fringe of the society, more interested than dogs than cats. But, you know, you could put a compelling case together, actually, that I fit that bill pretty well. Do we have evidence of men being accused of witchcraft? And if so, how's that dealt with? Yeah, I mean, there were... um... Uh, there are many instances of, of men being accused of witchcraft. I mean, they, I, I haven't done a, like a statistical analysis. The great, the great majority of uh, 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 people who died during what I've called the last witchcraft were were women, but but men were also accused of witchcraft and were executed in England and Scotland and America in the period I'm looking at, second half of the of the of the 17th century. Men were executed at, at, at Salem. Uh, I, I tell the, the tale of a terrible execution in, in Scotland in 1697, when seven people were put to death, including men. And this fellow of the Royal Society, Henry, Henry Moore, uh, did a little case study of uh, Huntingdon witches in, in 1640, in 1646. Um, and uh, one of them was a man. Uh, this was part of the Matthew Hopkins madness. Uh, uh, Henry Moore lived up the road at Cambridge. He investigated this, and he was convinced about the guilt of uh, this uh, this particular man. So, yeah, men were involved, uh, but the overwhelming majority of the, the the victims were 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 women. I think. Do you know what? I think I have just this road trip was so long. So we went to the site where they burned the last British witch, uh, which was 1722, I think. But it says 1727 on the headstone. There's something wrong with it anyway. But just reading the information boards when we were there and that, the case made against this woman was absolutely ridiculous. So I just, what, what is the process then? So we've talked about how they investigate it. So once they've come up with a, a viable line of scientific inquiry that proves that they think this person is a witch, what do they do with them? Well, uh, 
I mean, there's a judicial process that that, that, yeah. that plays out. So uh, the women are, um, you know, interrogated typically by the uh, the local magistrates. So it wouldn't uh, be Aubrey doing the investigation. The well, 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 this is this is one of my discoveries. Uh, yeah. Not not Aubrey. Aubrey didn't personally um, participate, so far as I can see, in actual investigations. But one of his mates did. Okay. So he was a great friend of another fellow of the Royal Society uh, called James Long, Sir James Long. And he was the investigating magistrate in the Malmesbury trial of 1672, one of the last instances in England when women are put to death for for, for witchcraft. Um, and what he attempts to do is he attempts to uh, impose, to bring his scientific perspective to bear. And he wrote uh, a little pamphlet about it in which he explains in a very self-congratulatory way how he was able to uh, impose order and discipline on the investigation by bringing the principles of modern science to bear and asking all these questions about the, about the, 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 the quality of the, of the evidence. Uh, and then some of the women are sent off to Salisbury. Uh, they're kept in the, in, the, in the county jail till the assize judges turn up. Uh, then they're put on trial, uh, and in this case, two of them were were found guilty and 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 executed. So James Long, fellow of the Royal Society, participates, and another character, Joseph Glanville, rector of Bath Abbey. He's he's another one of these fellows of the Royal Society. And uh, one of my discoveries is that almost certainly he participated personally in a witch hunt in. Um, in, 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 in Somerset in 1665. And he's doing the same thing as Long. He's thinking, oh, great, I've got a chance here to apply the principles of the science of witchcraft. Um, I, we can ask him the right questions. I'm very interested in this spectral evidence issue. Um, so James Long, Joseph Glanville do also participate as well as writing about, if you like, the kind of the, the, the theory of the science of, of witchcraft. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. I'm, I'm slightly baffled by all of this. Um. <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
He's covering quite a large area, isn't he, uh, Aubrey, in terms of his work? Salisbury, Somerset, Malmesbury, all kind of areas where he's, I want to be rude and say kind of sticking his nose in. Um, why, why such a kind of a significant involvement? Is there this sense that this guy's onto something and, um, you know, we need to be paying attention to his work? And so when these investigations start, well, then you call in Aubrey. Or is it more a case of this guy's got an area that he operates in and it's basically sort of west of England and that's his patch? And so when news kind of breaks about, look, there's somebody in, in place X where there's suspected to be a witch, he, he upsticks and kind of inserts himself into that discussion. Aubrey's personal role is more as someone who is uh, a kind of journalist of the supernatural rather than a participant so he's he's not present uh, at any of the trials, as far as I can see, but he's getting people who were there to 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 to, to write to him and tell him tell him what's what's happening, and then he sees his role as as bringing it all together, as I say, in a kind of reportage, uh, a journalistic journalistic way. Uh, and these particular cases, the reason they're interested in them is because they think that the the standard of proof is 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 high. You've got uh, a group of theorists and you've got the investigators, if you like, and they overlap, but there, there, are, there are different people here. The greatest theorist is this Cambridge academic, Henry Moore. And he, he develops this science of the satanic, if you like. He, he says, okay, there are these traditional views about witches. I think they're true, but how do they work in modern scientific terms? So um, uh, the, the witches are accused of having sex with demons. And he says, yeah, I, th- I, think, I think that's, that's plausible. How does it work, though? And then he takes uh, the latest thinking about air pressure and come up with this, uh, again, the word is bonkers, bonkers theory about how uh, a demon could, take the f- could, could get a body, could get the form of a body if... Uh, there was a, a condensation of air, um, and then they could have sex with uh, with with a witch. And he then says, "And I wonder, might uh, a child result from that encounter?" And he says, "Yeah, I think I think this is possible because I've just been reading all this latest embryological research that William Harvey's <laughs> just done, and and it fits. Uh, they take ideas, the latest ideas from medicine." where people are talking about ferments in the blood as being the, the cause of disease. And they say, okay, maybe that's how it works with the, with, with the, the witch and her familiar. What's this familiar? What is the scientific role of this demonic creature that suckles on the, on the witch? Oh, I know what. She'll be transmitting, transmitting a toxic ferment that will give the witch her, her diabolical power. And Aubrey does a, a little bit of this. He's not a great theoretician. He's much more interested in gathering, doing the journalism than doing the explanation. But he looks at the evil eye, the idea that uh, you could, through your malevolent gaze, bewitch somebody. And he's convinced by this. He thinks this, this has happened and that he personally has been subject to it. And he says, there's something going on here. We now know that light is made up of uh, invisible particles. Uh, so he's taking the latest you know, theory about like light and optics and he's saying, that's what's happening here. The witches are transmitting these invisible toxic particles. 
Um, so as I say, he's more reporting about it uh, rather than actually personally investigating. It's just, uh, I mean, firstly, sure, okay, they're sort of slightly drawing on Galen's four humours there, aren't they, with condensation and and things like that. But, I mean, it does very much sound like somebody who has no understanding of how sex works, trying to come up with the commentary on how sex works. You'd always kind of expect it in the playground, you know, <laughs> like then some magic spirit comes along and um, it was a wet day um, and and then some stuff happened. It, it's, it's so basic in its nature that it, it we, we kind of listened to it today and are staggered that these ideas took off. But I suppose that's kind of in part a result of the fact that this isn't an era of significant medical knowledge and expertise by modern standards. So this this kind of effort to draw on the latest theories kind of, as you were saying earlier, gives them more credibility because they're going, well, look, they're drawing on the cutting edge of research. They're just thinking ahead of the curve. That's yeah, you're right, Zach. That's exactly what's exactly what's happening, and it's interesting you talk about the humours. So uh, the the humoral explanations are being challenged by people now bringing forward alternative th- theories, such as the, the the notion of the ferment in the blood fermentation. So uh, and, and and William Harvey is doing this right at the end of his life. The guy who discovered the circulation of the blood is doing this groundbreaking work into the nature of sex and embryology. So they they latch on to these these works um, and, and and use them to give. I mean, they believed in it, but it gives a kind of like spurious, you know, sort of veneer of intellectual respectability to the the the, the basic proposition that yes, uh, the, these powers exist, the witches exist. It, it's 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 authentic, and uh, you know, it's a theme in our conversation, is it? That you know, how can clever people be so stupid but then i look at um you know QAnon <laughs> conspiracies and all sorts of crazy stuff that's happening in the world today and uh you know plus a change just uh, <laughs> i love this in a way right so aubrey if you'd have asked him he would have considered himself then this bright journalist at the cutting edge of scientific thought uh bringing bringing the story of this credible research to the masses um i I don't want to laugh so you have a a chapter in your book dedicated to what you call his midlife crisis uh can you explain what this is does he suddenly grow some sense and start thinking oh what have i done no uh it's completely the opposite he um so he starts he's a believer he's a believer from childhood uh, and then he does have this uh, crisis. He has, I think, a bit of a breakdown, really, uh, around about 1670. So uh, his love life goes horribly wrong. Um, he, he, wants, he wants to get married to a woman called Joan Sumner. Uh, she changes her mind. Um, it gets very acrimonious. They take each other to court. Um, Do you accuse her of being a witch? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I think as soon as you said his love life goes south, I thought, shame. Well, it will take a moment to yeah, grieve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
no, no, they fall out over 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 money. And uh, anyway, uh, he, he's he's in a terrible mess anyway financially. He's hopeless with uh, with money, and and he he loses his court case. Uh, uh, he 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 uh, sues her for breach of promise. She sues him back for basically fraud. Anyway, he he loses. He's in massive debt. He's eventually bankrupted. He has to sell his much-loved house in North Wiltshire. And he kind of goes on the run from his uh, his creditors. And he's sort of, you know, sleeping on the sofa, so to speak, with various, various friends. Um, and at this same time, when he's having this, this terrible crisis, he gets really sucked in to the supernatural. Uh, and he comes under the influence of the key astrologers who were working in London at the time, uh, William Lilly and Henry Coley. Uh, he, he becomes convinced uh, of the, the truth of uh, uh, astrology, and he gets very interested in spirit magic. And I'm sure of this, I've no doubt about this, he practices, he undertakes spirit magic. He is a friend of Elias Ashmole, Another one, fellow of the Royal Society, guess what? Founder of the Ashmolean Museum, the first public museum in the world at the University of Oxford. Uh, Funny enough, Ashmole is also a, a 100% believer and is very, very interested in astrology and, and spirit magic, uh, contacting spirits uh, through the power of magical crystals. And uh, so Aubrey gets sucked into all of this in the in the 1670s so he becomes even more enthusiastic about the whole supernatural project he writes a textbook which was never published on education like school uh, education setting out a curriculum for uh boys it's just boys uh in in his ideal grammar school and he says they should be taught spirit magic they should be taught how to communicate with good spirits through the crystal ball so it gets more bonkers as a result of this phase in his life. I love it. He's literally advocating the establishment of Hogwarts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. But, yeah, but um, you know what? Uh, my conclusion is that he uh, maybe, in terms of his own dabbling, resembles Voldemort uh, more than Harry. <laughs> Um, as a as a Slytherin myself, uh, <laughs> apparently uh, that was a surprise when I got that one. Um, perhaps it shouldn't have been a surprise if people know me properly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I mean, the other thing that's just wonderful about this is the hypocrisy. So, women practicing magic, this can't be acceptable. But I'm a man practicing spirit magic. Yeah, that is acceptable. Yeah. I can just see the steam coming out of Alex's ears. Yeah, right now. You're, you're absolutely right. There's a terrible, double misogynistic double standard at work here. So what's the end of the story for him? Yeah, well, tell this... me he gets what's coming <laughs> to him. Come on. This is this is my reveal at the, the end. So I've got a chapter called The Witchcraft of, of, of John Aubrey. And, and I've uncovered this amazing document, which is his black magic manual, his notebook of black magic which is in the Bodleian Library. And um, it's not attracted um, much attention before. I think I'm the first person to really have a close look at this thing. W- one of the problems is it's, it's, it was, it's been miscatalogued by the, um, 
by the Bodleian. So it's, it's catalogued as an astrological treatise, uh, you know, a book about astrology. Um, and the first, like 160 pages of it are in Latin. And most people haven't bothered to, to look at it. Uh, and I've thought, well, it's just some, some astrology. But it's not astrology. It's about black magic. It's a manual for uh, a wizard who is interested in black magic. And the first part of it is a, is a, is a very detailed account of what the, the wizard needs to do in order to undertake some really dark spells. Um, so if you want to harm your enemies or you want to persuade a woman to have sex against their will, what must you do? Which particular demons must you summon? Uh, how, how do you do this, this, this terrible dark black magic? That's the first uh, uh, section. Uh, and then the second section, uh, which is uh, in English, uh, is, is, is a collection of much shorter spells and charms most of which are to do with sex magic, for want of a better phrase, to do with using magic to persuade a woman, a targeted woman, uh, to welcome your advances. I mean, it's really, really nasty, nasty, nasty stuff. And uh, some of the spells are uh, using what you might call a kind of natural magic. So Aubrey's got a spell where he... Uh, suggests that you might like to think about putting powder of valeria surreptitiously in a woman's drink. Now, uh, powder of valeria is 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 valerian. It's 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 a plant with a well-known sedative effect. So he's he's sort of describing you know a, a date rape drug, um, uh, um, and uh, and that's using the power of herbal magic. And then he's got another spell where he actually uh, talks about uh, how you can invoke demons, including Beelzebub, to persuade a woman to turn up at your house and welcome your advances. And it's it's pure witchcraft. It's a, it's a witchcraft spell. Um, so Zach is a hundred percent right. There is this terrible double standard on Aubrey's part that he was dabbling in these things. And he seems to have had no qualms about the fact that, you know, the impoverished working class uh, women were being put to death. I really hope, I don't, let, let's not like spoil the ending because I want people to go and buy the book, but I hope it ends up with him being dunked. I suspect <laughs> it really doesn't and that he gets off scot-free, but my fingers are crossed. Um, how <laughs> I hope he gets across- thrown in a fire. Yeah, that, that just, meme of throw oh, the man in a fire. Just, just yeah. if ever that was more relevant. Yeah, and it, date rape, like you say, what a dick. Um, how did you come across this story? Uh, well, I, I, I've been interested in, in uh, Aubrey for, for, yeah. for year, years, actually, as as an individual and this, you know, this paradoxical character who was brilliant in so many ways, but seemed to have this kind of loopy. Uh, a weak spot in terms of his obsession with the supernatural. The fact that he writes brief lives, you know, really pioneering biographical work, which is brilliant, but doesn't get around to publishing it. Meanwhile, he does publish this, you know, apparently superficially ludicrous collection of tales of the supernatural. That interested me. Uh, and I just went on a journey really to find out more. And the more I looked, the bigger the the the, the, the story became 
because he wasn't some sort of uh, eccentric aberration. He was part of this group of establishment individuals. You know, I've been reeling off all sorts of names, you know. Ashmole, legitimizing Hall, each other, aren't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then it, it got, for me, very interesting that there was this connection with 1692 and the death of 20 people in Salem, that this group of English intellectuals have this influence over what happens in New England. So I just thought, oh, this is amazing. I've just got to find out more about this. I'll go and look at the Aubrey papers in the Bodleian. I'll try to read everything published in English in the period, in the in all the pamphlets and treatises. And that's that's what I've been doing. Yeah, all that stupid thing in Salem ever did for me was destroy my life for about three months when we did a production of The Crucible at school. Right. Yeah. To, well, actually, Joe, you'd never get away with this now because I'm brown. I wasn't allowed to be in it. Uh, I was only allowed to do what? this town. Yeah, because they're all supposed to be white, aren't they? And there's the one Trinidadian maid or whatever, and that was the only Asian person that had a role in the whole thing. Uh, I was on sound, and it literally involved sitting there pushing play and stop three times for three sound effects in the whole play, and I had to sit for it about 90 million times to do this. So I'm not going to lie, people. I sat there with one headphone in listening to Take That the whole time, and I'm not even sorry and that play gives me nightmares still. It's right up there with Evita, which was my worst performance experience ever in musical theatre because tramping around in the shape of a cross singing in Latin was horrible. Uh, but we're straying off the point here. I just, you know, I just, do you know what? It just blows my mind that these are supposedly the brains that people would look to. Um, and this is what they're telling people. Uh, but it is a fascinating book. Thank you so much for putting it together and for going down this rabbit hole because the results are outstanding. Uh, you will be able to buy the book in the History Hack bookshop. But before we let Tony go, we have to ask you, because we're all about the education, tell us about your charity. Uh, yeah, OK. Well, my two uh, passions are uh, history and, uh, and and education, as in school education um, and getting uh uh, the right deal for kids in, in, at school. And I spent the first 20 or so years of my life uh, in, a, in an educational context uh, with a big emphasis on history, actually. So I, was, I, I wrote loads of textbooks for, for, for secondary history. Uh, I did a bunch of stuff for English heritage, trying to popularise history. Um, and then I changed track and joined an organisation that's called education development trust and and it's a charity that undertakes uh education reform school improvement work for the most part in low-income countries uh so we organize uh school improvement teacher development projects at the moment in rwanda ethiopia zimbabwe um kenya uh so that's what we do and we're called education development trust and I'm a director of the trust and I have a particular interest in our, in our research uh, program. So we research into, you know, effective interventions in improving schools uh, for disadvantaged kids in uh, low income countries. What a fantastic cause. Where can people find out more? I'm guessing you have a website. Uh, we do. Yeah. So we're Education Development Trust, EDT for short. And if you just Google that, you'll go, you'll go, you'll find our website straight away. And you'll find all of our research because uh, the research that I'm heavily involved in, uh, we give it away via the website. It's all freely available for anyone who's interested on the Education Development Trust website. 
Please tell me it's slightly more credible than the research we've been talking about today. (laughs) (laughs) Revolves around the humours. Yeah, indeed. (laughs) We'll stick a link to the site in the show description. Folks, check underneath where you hit play. It'll be there. What will also be there is a link to the History Hack bookstore, which is where you need to go to buy this book. You know my thing. You don't want to make me angry and go to Amazon. Don't make me start that rant. You know how it ends. So the last witch craze, John Aubrey, the Royal Society and the witches. I'm amazed we got through this without talking or making some bad joke about Lucky Jack Aubrey um, (laughs) out of Master and Commander. But we did. So the last witch craze, John Aubrey, the Royal Society and the witches. It is out. People go buy it. If you're not interested in buying it after this, I don't know what's wrong with you. And Tony, thank you so much for your time. This has been bizarre, funny, and also just utterly infuriating. I think Alex needs to go and punch that cushion of Lloyd George that I gave her a few months back. Yes, she does. Lloyd George is going to get hit in the face. (laughs) Okay, thanks, guys. Great to talk. When our guests join us to talk about their work and their new book, the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org where you can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them, and you can support History Hack too. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack, or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. Thank you for your continued support, and here's to your next great book. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.